Today's scripture reading is from the third chapter of James, verses 1 through 12. First, let us pray. Gracious God, as the scripture is read and proclaimed, enable us to hear you clearly. Silence in us any distractions. We are eager for faith and courage, but do not make us afraid of questions or doubts. Grant us your presence, we pray. Amen. From the Message Translation. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teacher is high, teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. But our speech, by our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When it comes to the letter of James, the reformer Martin Luther, he famously referred to it as an epistle of straw. And he claimed that the letter contained not one whit of the Christian gospel. Now some of his critics have suggested he said that because he was known to have a bit of a wagging tongue himself, and that may have formed his opinion. But however he came to the conclusion, it seems a bit hasty to me. James might not be the first place we turn to debate intellectual nuance of theology, but if we want to think about how that theology lives and breathes and moves in the real world, where we are required to deal with actual people on a daily basis, well, James has a lot to teach us about that. He's perhaps best known for this saying, though, and it comes just before today's reading. James writes, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Faith without works is dead. 
Now, too often, we actually oversimplify what James is saying here. We hear him saying, your actions are what will save you. Your actions are what matter. And we lift him up as a counterpoint to the Apostle Paul, who writes, we know that a person is justified not by works, but through faith. So we characterize them this way. James cares only about words. Paul cares only about faith. But that's too simple and unfair to both of them. So think of it this way. Paul is deeply concerned with how we become right with God. And to Paul, that only happens through the person of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, We cannot do it on our own, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many good things we do. We are saved because of what God has done for us through Christ. Period. Now James wouldn't argue with any of that. Because James isn't making a claim about how we become right with God. James is saying if you really understand your faith, Your behavior will demonstrate that. So Paul says, this is how we are saved, through Christ. And James says, because we are saved through Christ, this is how we are to act. And then in his very next breath, right after declaring that our behavior matters, James says, watch your mouth. That is actually my mother's translation, but it works well here. That is the first and most important instruction when it comes to our behavior, at least as far as James is concerned. Our words are a manifestation of our inner selves and our true disposition. Our speech reveals who we really are. A friend of mine in seminary, she once shared with our entire class that when she is struggling to love someone, or even struggling to tolerate someone, she looks at them and mumbles to herself, child of the covenant, child of the covenant. And she says that using those words, even under her breath, those words that are our baptismal promise, It helps her see difficult people in a new light. Now, when I was a kid, lots of stories of my childhood today. When I was a kid, my favorite food was macaroni and cheese. And this was a regular staple in our dinner rotation. The only embarrassing part of this is that in my family, we never called it macaroni and cheese. We called it cheese noodles. Now, I don't know why. All I can tell you is that my grandmother called it cheese noodles, and my mother called it cheese noodles, and so my brother and I call it cheese noodles, and his children now call it cheese noodles. I was having dinner at a friend's house, and I was at the age where I couldn't quite read all on my own yet. And her mom asked if I wanted to stay for dinner. They were having macaroni and cheese. And I said, I don't know what that is. And my friend looked at me and she said, we have it at your house all the time. 
And her mom showed me what was in the pan and I said, oh, cheese noodles, yes, I would like cheese noodles. And she said, it's macaroni and cheese. And I said, no, it's cheese noodles. And this went on for longer than either of us would probably care to admit now. And finally, her mother pulled the box out of the trash and sounded out the words with me, macaroni and cheese. And I straightened up to the full height of my five-year-old self, and I said, I don't care what the box says, they're cheese noodles. (laughs) Because even when I was confronted with hard evidence, I was not swayed. And I wasn't swayed because over and over again, someone I trusted in my life told me that meal was called cheese noodles. So I believed it with everything in me. Now that's a silly story. It's a silly story until we think about what else might get taught that way. Racism and homophobia and Islamophobia, sexism, self-doubt, fear of our neighbors, fear of a vaccine, all of this is learned behavior. In her memoir, Educated, Tara Westover tells her own story of being raised in a radically fundamentalist Mormon home. As a result, she never attended school, and wasn't homeschooled. Nevertheless, she earned a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young and studied at Harvard as a visiting scholar and earned her PhD in history from Trinity College in Cambridge. These accomplishments, though, soured and fractured her relationship with her parents, who adamantly opposed formal education. They were convinced it was a dangerous government plot and most likely the work of the devil. Her memoir chronicles the difficulty we all have when we challenge things that we've been taught from a young age, even after we're old enough to learn differently. She remembers talking to her friend Charles during their undergraduate days. I told Charles about earning a scholarship that meant I could come back for a second year. I meant it as a brag, But for some reason, all my fears came out. I said that I shouldn't even be in college, or that I should be made to finish high school first, or at least start it. And Charles sat quietly and didn't say anything for a long time. And then he said, are you angry that your parents didn't put you in school? It was an advantage, I said. And I was shouting, surprising even myself. My response, she writes, was entirely instinctive. It was like hearing a phrase from a catchy song. I couldn't stop myself from reciting the next line. Charles looked at me skeptically, unable to reconcile that with what I had said moments before. Well, I'm angry, he said, even if you're not. Thinking back on it, she writes, I said nothing in the moment. I wanted to explain to Charles about the Illuminati and the government plots and the biased, dangerous material that propagated school systems, but those words belonged to my father, 
And even in my mind, they sounded awkward. But rather than doubting the words themselves, she writes, I doubted myself, and I was ashamed at my inability to take possession of them fully. I believed then, and part of me will always believe, even with all my education, that my father's words are to be my own, too. Whether we welcome it or not, whether we even realize it or not, words wield an incredible amount of power. They shape us, and they shape the world around us. We are seeing this played out in our own lives as the Delta variant runs rampant. Researchers and scientists at the highest levels who have spent lifetimes researching vaccines and efficacies and safety tell us again and again that not only is the vaccine safe, it is our best tool against a virus that has claimed well over 600,000 lives. And yet there are some who have sought every public platform possible to spread false claims to the contrary, Enough so that too many people are confused. And too many people have become convinced that the science is flawed. And too many people have decided that they are more comfortable taking their chances, forgetting that we are in a corporate fight against a transmissible airborne disease that cares very little for personal preference and even less for personal freedom. And without minimizing that danger, I am grateful that as a result, more and more people are beginning to speak up, reminding us that when it comes to expertise versus opinion, when it comes to the evidence of science versus the debate of the internet, not all words are created equal. And this challenges us to consider not just the content of what we see and read and hear, but the source and the motivation behind it. Because like James says, words shape our behavior. Words are shaping our collective behavior. Now James isn't the only one who says this. Luther wrote him off as having nothing of the gospel in him, but the gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus called to the crowds and said, Listen, listen to me and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of it. The other thing that Luther missed in his critique is that scripture is chock full of creative and powerful words Words that are strong enough to make life flourish for all who hear them. God spoke, and that's when creation danced into existence. And the Son of God came to us as the Word incarnate, full of grace and truth. To the little girl who had died, Jesus said, get up. To the man who couldn't walk, he said, take up your mat and walk again. To his friend Lazarus, dead in the grave for three days, he said, come out. To the disciples who were afraid, 
He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. In his last moment, with his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then in the garden, early on Easter morning, he said, Mary. And in saying that, resurrection became real for each and every one of us. Without question, words can cause us all sorts of trouble. But without question, words can also beat back the darkness and lead us into the light. My friend Sarah is a pastor of, these are her words, a funky little Presbyterian church in Tacoma, Washington. I've preached there a few times, so I have gotten to know some of the members. Tony and Janelle have been married a good long while, as they put it. Tony has advanced ALS. He is a quadriplegic and on a ventilator. When he wishes to speak, someone wheels him to a computer that can read the movement of his one good eye and he spells out letter by letter what it is he has to say. Janelle was his voice for years, but she was recently diagnosed with stage four oral cancer, and that cancer and its treatment robbed her of the ability to speak as well. So they have had to get creative. Janelle uses a whiteboard, Tony uses his computer, and communication between them is nearly impossible. Nearly, but not entirely. It is slow and difficult and fraught with errors, but Janelle says it is worth it. She says every shared word is a victory, and every misstep is a chance for grace. She says, when it takes 10 minutes to exchange a simple greeting, you learn to say only what is essential. She said, over time, you learn to forgive a lot. And she says, over time, you'd be surprised how much we can still learn about one another. And she says, over time, you learn that the only words really worth saying are words that point us toward love. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like the gospel to me. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.